Hi folks, this is Abel James and you're listening to the Fat Burning Man Show where we talk about real food and real results. Today we're here with Ben Greenfield. But before we get to the show, I wanted to let you know that I've been making the rounds on a bunch of different podcasts and magazines all over the place. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to be coming up on Future of Health Now with some guest blog posts and an interview as well as a paleo magazine. And actually tomorrow we're going to be recording a podcaster's roundtable, which should be a lot of fun on Sean Croxton's Underground Wellness with Jimmy Moore as the guest host. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be lots of fun. Now today, I'm very excited to present you with Ben Greenfield, a man of many hats who is all over the place uh, as a top fitness writer, podcaster, as well as an elite triathlete. Now, I had the pleasure of hanging out with Ben at the Ancestral Health Symposium a few weeks back, and it might seem that elite endurance training and the ancestral approach to nutrition and lifestyle are contradictory, but I'm impressed and encouraged by Ben's ability to bridge the gap. Eating real food helps everyone. So not only can you achieve great health by eating according to evolutionary and ancestral principles, but Ben is a living, breathing example of how you can also perform and compete at the elite level. So let's hope that this is the beginning of a trend. The man knows his stuff. In this show, Ben and I cover supplementation tips for performance and health, how many carbs you really should be eating, the right way to build muscle as a hard gainer, why you should avoid sunscreen, and most importantly, how to make sure you don't get man boobs. Cool, let's go hang out with Ben. Hi folks, today I'm pleased to present a fellow top podcaster, a tireless fitness writer, elite triathlete, and a deceivingly tall man, Mr. Ben Greenfield. What's cooking, my friend? I don't even know what deceivingly tall is. I mean, <laughs> I'd only like, seen you in, in cyberspace before we met at, at Harvard a few weeks ago, and man, you're tall. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're just short, dude. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, you make me look bad in the picture we have together. But let's let's start with your background for those of you who don't know you, which uh, which shame on you because you're everywhere, Ben. But uh, let's just talk about how you got into this whole lifestyle and, and being a, a podcast boss. A podcast boss. I like it. <laughs> Deceivingly tall podcast boss. Um, you know, I'd, I uh, really started to get into the whole fitness slash sports thing. Um, but really back in high school when I started to geek out on tennis, I got big into tennis mm-hmm. and had my eyes set on maybe being a, a professional tennis player. Oh, um, no way. Little, little did I know that, that, uh, you know, uh, a, a kid from Idaho who didn't start playing until he was 13 really didn't hold the chance <laughs> to become a professional tennis player. But I, I ended up playing collegiate tennis and, and kind of realized that a couple of years in surrounded by the international crowd of guys who were just like kicking my butt yeah. at tennis that I should maybe consider a different career path. <laughs> and at that point I was already involved in studying kinesiology just because that was pretty much what like 99% of the students at student athletes kind of studied. Yeah. So, um, kind of stayed with that, with that course load and exercise science and, uh, continued on with some other sports. You know, I, I did a bunch of bodybuilding in college, you know, a lot of weightlifting, um, ended up even playing for the water polo team my last year, <laughs> um, played cool. middle for the, for the volleyball team. Wow. And, you know, that was what I did. I taught sports camps and, and, uh, got my personal training degree while I was in, in college. Mm-hmm. And, um, about three years in, I actually picked up a pre-med coursework as well and decided I, I might look into going into, uh, to medical school. So, I uh, got into my, uh, got into my last year of college and, um, decided that, I would probably be a little bit more palatable to be able to get into uh, a medical school if I snagged a master's degree. Sure. So I ended up doing a doing a master's degree in exercise physiology mm-hmm. and uh, biomechanics uh, with some some pharmaceutical and advanced human nutrition classes thrown in, and ended up getting kind of kind of headhunted by a uh, by a surgical sales company. Um, and they, they offered some dollar signs as I was coming out of my, uh, <laughs> master's degree. So I thought, well, what the heck I'll go stand around in, in, uh, 
you know, surgical wards and, and, uh, sell hips and knees for, for a while. (laughs) Not only did I hate that job, but I also realized that I did not want to work in, in traditional Western medicine. It it really kind of, kind of turned me off to, to the whole experience. And I decided that I, I really needed to kind of rethink that career path. So very interesting. Um, basically I, I quit my job. Uh, about five months in, I uh, quit, quit the surgical sales position and uh, didn't end up uh, g- going forward and, and uh, applying to any medical schools at that point either and just uh, basically started uh, work as a fitness manager at the local gym mm-hmm. and um, did that for a couple of years and then branched off and started opening my own studios and gyms, uh, partnered up with a local physician and we launched kind of like a sports medicine, sports performance facility where we did a lot of physiology testing, a lot of biomechanical analysis of, of, uh, a lot of runners and cyclists, especially, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and during all this time I, I had started to, to dabble in, in triathlon cause I really enjoyed being able to take, nutrition knowledge and combine it with performance in a, in a sport of attrition, right? You know, eating is, is kind of important, um, you know, compared to like, I don't know, like baseball (laughs) as a, as I offend all the baseball players, (laughs) but Uh, they know what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, about four years ago when my kids were born, you know, I was, I was working like 5am till, you know, eight or 9pm as a personal Jeez. trainer, you know, yeah. burning hours. I had a few trainers working for me at a couple different gyms and I was, you know, driving all over the place in between these gyms and then getting home. And, you know, by that point I, I was, I had been starting to, you know, like sell some of the fitness books and stuff that I was writing online. And mm-hmm. I realized that, I was not going to have a freaking life if I like kept up that path. So pretty much uh, sold all my equipment, got rid of my gyms, got rid of my studios, um, got rid of my clients, wow. which was the hardest part. Yeah. Um, you know, just basically telling people, Hey, I, you know what? I, I gotta, I gotta back off and, uh, moved into the home office and started doing a lot more writing, podcasting, blogging. I still work with people virtually. I kind of coach a, a small number of individuals um, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, spend spend the, the better part of my time now uh, coaching and writing and, and uh, fly around to some conferences and do a little bit of speaking here and there. But but yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at now. That's awesome. And look at you now. <laughs> I'm, look I'm, at me now. I'm glad you quit the, your job. The podcast boss. The podcast I'm going to have to remember that. It's good stuff, man. So let's let's just dig right into it. Since you're a wealth of information, I've been over your blog, and thanks for sending one of your eBooks too. Let's. One of the things that um, that a lot of people are interested in, and I get emails about all the time, is combining the low carb lifestyle with endurance training. And I know that you're pretty experienced with that. So can you talk about that a little bit? How to incorporate that and not bonk all over the place? Sure. Um, you know, I'd, I I. Uh, try myself to really limit the amount of carbohydrates that I eat for reasons mm-hmm. your audience is probably familiar with. Uh, everything from from blood sugar to the inflammation that 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 constantly surging blood glucose levels in, in your vessel can mm-hmm. create uh, to to oxidation of cholesterol particles. You know, there's a variety of reasons that you don't want to fuel your body in a traditional manner that that you know a, a marathoner or a triathlete or a cyclist or you know a lot of people even from from other sports that may not be endurance sports are, are taught to fuel their body mm-hmm. you know hydrates typically anywhere from a 50 to 80 percent based carbohydrate diet consisting of whole grains juices sports drinks you know bars things of that nature Ugly. um yeah, and just you know, tough on the body, and it's not like that stuff's bad for performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've hosted professional uh, triathletes, for example, at my home, and you know that like I remember a couple of guys at one point I was I was watching them during race week, and they were, they would like sit on the couch watching movies and like literally <laughs> eating. Um, do you know what these like shot blocks are? Like the yep. little blocks are that you can chew on that you're supposed yeah, yeah. to. Like, they're just. <laughs> laid out on the on the coffee table like in different colors you know like put them together like you would with jelly belt <laughs> it's so weird that is that's pure glucose and fructose and maltodextrin mm-hmm. you know 
you know, drinking Sunny D and having a bagel for breakfast. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, and then going out and doing really, really well in sports. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sugar can certainly be used as a, as almost like a drug in that sense, in that it can give you really, really good high intensity performance. But there are a, there are a variety of health implications down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything from from diabetes to insulin insensitivity to leptin insensitivity uh, to to uh, you know increased risk of atherosclerosis from the oxidation of cholesterol mm -hmm. you know just a bunch of issues that you may not think about until it's it's ten twenty years down the road and then you also look at a lot of these folks that have been you know especially like doing endurance sports for a while mm -hmm. and just like they look like Yoda like their face. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's and that's shocking when that happens because it, there's that misconception that more is better when it comes to endurance training and it it's, especially if you're using the wrong fuel or just like using nitrous all the time, it takes its toll. And a lot of that can happen kind of invisibly, right? Like I'm sure a lot of the people you compete against, they look like rock stars and they probably are performing like rock stars, but like you said, 10, 20 years later, it's a different story. Yeah, I mean you're 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 talking about the the sun being a little bit of an issue, but everybody says, "Oh, you look like that cuz cuz your your skin's getting dried in the sun for long periods of time." Mm -hmm. I've got news for you. A, a big big part of that is simply advanced glycation end products. Mm -hmm. Sugar uh you know, combining with proteins and connective tissue causing inflammation and degradation and then you you combine that with low levels of, of hormones and steroids from inadequate fat intake and it creates this this firestorm for connective tissue uh breakdown yeah and i mean your skin looks like that you know your skin is connective tissue everything going on down is is going to look fairly similar as well right so you know with fascial adhesions and scar tissue and injuries and you know then then you get down into like the joints and you're looking at, at hip replacements and knee replacements and mm -hmm. what a lot of like if you go through like uh you know ex-pro triathletes um some of these guys are pretty messed up now yeah. and you know all due respect great athletes and really great people mm -hmm. um most of these these you know pro triathletes and stuff that i've hung around with but yeah, you, you get up close and there's some serious signs of aging and inflammation. Yeah. So, you know, my my whole goal here is to be able to achieve at a fairly high level, you know, be able to, you know, whatever, climb your own personal Mount Everest by mm -hmm. crossing the finish line of an Ironman triathlon or, or doing a marathon, but not creating that havoc on your body, especially from a dietary standpoint. Right. So... Um, the way that I do it, um, and, and the way that, that I, that I kind of guide some of the athletes that I coach and, you know, the, the way that I, I steer folks in, in some of the stuff that I write is that you, you try and consume, uh, just enough carbohydrates to, you know, basically kind of keep your liver glycogen stores topped off. Mm -hmm. we're, we're in the range of like 50 to a hundred grams of carbohydrate most days. Um, you know, primarily, uh, centered around the exercise session, you know, comprised of of anything from uh, sweet potatoes or or yams or rice, to even carbohydrates from uh, from gluconeogenesis mm -hmm. um, and and protein intake. Frankly, most of my my pre workout, you know, pre you know, like I went on a, a two hour bike ride yesterday, you know, thirty forty minutes prior, it was uh, some some goat based whey protein powder mm -hmm. with milk and uh there were some almonds thrown in there and so you know that's that's fairly void of carbohydrate there's a little bit of carbohydrate from the from the nuts and mm -hmm. then you've got some some glucose conversion going on from the protein but essentially trying trying to limit carbohydrates to around 50 to 100 uh grams a day you know and last night i had a, a big side of beets with dinner you know and that's you know basically my my carb intake mm -hmm. day and there are a couple of, of oh, there's, there's always those days when you, especially when you're an endurance athlete where you're going out for whatever, you know, three, four, five hours, long bike rides, long runs, stuff like that. And that's where you dose with a little bit more carbohydrate, mm -hmm. you know, the cyclic thing going on where you've got a couple of higher carbohydrate days. Um, one of the things that a lot of the, the athletes that I'm working with now are experimenting with and beginning to use more is like longer uh, chain carbohydrates mm -hmm. that slowly that don't spike the blood sugar as much. 
uh, they're they're not as inflammatory. They're also not quite as as fermentable, so you don't get a lot of the the gas after the training session. Right. That would like a like a high molecular weight super starch. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a company called UCAN that makes a, a something called super starch. Not a huge fan of most of their stuff because it's got artificial sweeteners in it, but they have a they have like a plain flavor that you can use. Um, and then a lot of like whole amino acids, mm-hmm. uh, amino acid capsules or whole amino acid uh, powder just to keep the body from getting too catabolic when you're not taking in a lot of carbohydrate. Right. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, basically other than that, lots of real food, seeds, nuts, fat, and stuff that's not traditional endurance fuel, but still a, a higher amount of carbohydrate on at least a couple of days of the week just to make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, there's not anything from thyroid downregulation to, to uh, metabolic damage going on from like a long-term combination of, of carbohydrate and calorie depletion combined yeah. exercise and when you say high what does that mean is that still within the range of 50 to 100 or is it even a little bit higher than that no like 100 to 150 okay yeah because you got it you know in some cases more than that depending on the training session because mm-hmm. you got to account for what you eat during the training session right and you know if, if you're taking in even you know something like 150 to 200 calories of a super starch for a whatever a, a four or five hour bike ride that's still you know significant amount of carbohydrates but mm-hmm. granted it is just like you know blood glucose straight into muscle straight into to uh to either a glycolysis or oxidation and conversion to atp mm-hmm. so you know you're not getting a lot of that even spending any significant period of time in the bloodstream uh or you know for example uh you know getting converted it to triglycerides in the liver Right. Now, what if you're not training or if you're injured or something like that? Do you scale the carbs back even more and, and how much so? Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in a situation where you are injured, um, you, you're, there, there's really, you know, no need. Um, you know, rest week, similar thing. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's most, uh, pretty much ketogenic, uh, high fat, moderate protein, low carb, um, lots of, lots of focus on anti-inflammatory intake Mm -hmm. of anything from fatty fish and cod liver oil, um, to, uh, fatty cuts of meats, um, to, uh, you know, seeds, nuts, coconut milk, avocados, you know, just all the, all kind of the normal, uh, higher fat diet type of stuff that, that keeps you from, um, creating lots of ammonia or urea byproduct from protein breakdown. Mm -hmm. To lots of blood glucose surges through carbohydrate consumption. Yeah. So, you know, like a like a typical typical day for me, for example, like I'll do, uh, you know, usually breakfast. I'll have thirty to forty grams of protein with breakfast. That's mm-hmm. really my dose of the day. Yeah. Uh, and then some some seeds and some nuts. Usually the protein is with some coconut milk on the side. Good stuff lunch is usually just like a freaking huge salad i've got an enormous garden in the backyard so i'll go back there and pick some you know some kale and some mint and you know nice. tomato and toss some avocado some olives usually like a can of sardines or something on top of that mm-hmm. um, and then uh dinner is typically i think i had like a full-on like pound of liver last night for dinner <laughs> um i'll do you know beef salmon whatever side of a of a decent carb like some beets or sweet potato or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh you know like with liver last night i had a nice kale salad with some walnuts and you know that's a that's a typical day of eating and then snacks anything from uh like homemade beef jerky or pemmican um, to, uh, you know, occasionally some more of that like goat-based whey protein powder, um, you know, more seeds, more nuts, stuff like that. So pretty straightforward. Those sound like rocking meals. Sounds really familiar too. And it's interesting because you train a lot more than I do now. You know, I've done marathons and endurance training in the past, but right now it's it's a lot less. And I've noticed that if I go uh, too low carb for too long, I definitely experience a downregulation in all sorts of things. And my uh, thyroid is an issue that runs in my family. So if, if I don't uh, boost those carbs for a while, especially around uh, when I do, you know, sometimes I'll just go out for a longer run just because I like to do it. Um, so if I have a sweet potato, it's amazing how great it makes me feel for days even uh, when you when you do that high carb thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those issues where it kind of depends to how much you race mm-hmm. as an I race a lot. Yeah, I'm between 
you know, uh, any distance of triathlon racing 20 to 25 times a year. And every single one of those races you would consider to be a, a higher carbon take day mm-hmm. as well as the, the day before it. And so right there, you know, there's, there's 25 reloads throughout the year, you know, and somebody who's maybe just doing a marathon, who's not, you know, doing as many races or, or doing as many kind of, kind of carb loads throughout the year. Yeah, certainly you, you got to be a little bit careful making sure that you're not going for a long, long period of time with chronic cardio combined mm-hmm. with low, low carb intake. I mean, that's right. one of the things that you're always kind of fighting is, yeah, maybe whatever our, our ancestors didn't eat a ton of carbohydrates, you know, you wouldn't find like a, like a pile of, of, uh, you know, sweet potatoes or some homemade bread, you know, sitting there hunter gathering through the, <laughs> through the fields. Uh, but we're not necessarily when we're doing something like endurance sports, doing a real, real like ancestral type of sport. You know, it's like nobody would have gone out and burnt that much energy and just like destroyed. By choice, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's technically that kind of flies in the face of like, you know, evolutionary adaptation, right? You want to mm-hmm. consume energy and, and not go out and destroy your body unless there's something waiting for you at the end, like, uh, you know, whatever, like a hot babe or an elk. or <laughs> A hot babe or an elk, I like that. <laughs> Well, and, and that's so cool too. And we were talking about this a little bit before uh, before this interview. How you straddle this ancestral health perspective with with that of elite performance? Because you know most of these people in your circles, I would imagine, are just pumping up you know five hundred grams of carbs plus a day with that amount of training. But it's important to to say that you don't only do it, but you're fast. You make it work really, really well. Are are there other people who are starting to go in the same direction? Yeah, you you tend to see it more really in like uh, you know like the ultra running community. Mm-hmm. Those are all hippies, right? Okay, so I've injured or I've I've insulted the the ultra runners as well as <laughs> no, I, I think you mean it as a compliment, right? Yeah, they're doing real food and you know some some jerky and seeds and nuts and whatnot. And the guy that just the the Western States hundred, uh, I forget his name. I think it's Tim Olson. He's a he's a low carb guy. And the reason that it works really well in that sport or in like long, long distance cycling is it's totally aerobic. Like mm-hmm. you're just able to be in beta oxidation, fat burning the whole time. And once you bump up to that, that like a high level of something like triathlon, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if I go into an exercise physiology lab and I put on a, a, uh, like a like a respirometer and I measure carbon dioxide produced and oxygen consumed while I'm running on a treadmill or riding a bike at varying speeds, I can get a picture of when my body switches over to complete carbohydrate utilization. Hmm. It's your anaerobic threshold. Anybody mm-hmm. can wander in any lab and get this test done. And there's a certain heart rate or a certain power or a certain speed associated with that anaerobic threshold or that that point where you dip into full-on carbohydrate utilization and certainly it does occur at a, at a higher heart rate or a higher intensity the more fat adapted someone is right you know or someone's been eating you know say like a low-carb diet but it still happens you know so so let's say you know for me for example uh at a heart rate of about 171 when i'm riding a bike mm-hmm. that's when i know that my body is burning pure glucose as a fuel producing uh you know uh, pyruvate and lactic acid Mm -hmm. and that's just the way that things are physiologically it simply cannot be denied i mean you can go in a lab and get it tested um you know you can even combine that with it with a finger prick test for blood lactate and you see you know in the laboratory setting if blood lactate is above four millimolar then you're pretty much guaranteed that that you are you're churning through carbohydrate super quick right and body is not in a fat burning state Mm -hmm. so if i throw on a heart rate monitor and i go out and i do an ironman triathlon this is kind of the the confusion i think a a lot of times among especially like like the low carb type of folks is that that would be entirely aerobic right i'm out there for 10 hours and you know i could just fuel my body with fat the whole time right but my heart rate you know, 10, 15 times during the bike, you're going to see spikes for one to two minutes up to 180, 185, mm-hmm. one up some hills, 190. You know, you're looking at, at the 180s to 190s. I mean, red line. Yeah, that's cooking. Pure carbohydrate utilization. 
And that's that's the tricky part is that once you get up to competing in something like an endurance sports at that level, um, being able to to burn fat as a fuel, it's like that there's nobody that's ever done it. There's there's nobody that that has gone like low, low carb the day before the race and all during the race and also been able to compete at that level. Mm-hmm. So that's the next next step for me. You know, I, w- I was talking to uh, Mark Sisson about this over at the, the Ancestral Health Symposium is mm-hmm. like, you know, could we take a bunch of folks who are, who are like fast, who are doing that type of thing during like an Ironman triathlon for 10 hours in a row, get them fat adapted and then see if it's possible to, to do an event like that be able to to dip into fat at super super high intensities you know and just get through something like that with say like you know uh like a some type of an oil blend and maybe a little bit of that super starch mm-hmm. and you know acids yeah you know and, and if so you're doing a, a lot less inflammatory damage to your body from a from a nutrient uptake standpoint so mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting stuff. It's all experimentation, though, because you know that's that's the deal where a lot of this stuff just hasn't been tried at that level. So yeah, and Mark Sisson loves that stuff. I I was talking to him a little while back about how you know he plays frisbee and does all sorts of fun sports, and all these dudes that he's playing with, they can be a lot younger, but they burn out. You know, they're like going really really fast for an hour, hour and a half, something like that, and then at the end, he's just smoking them, even though he's almost sixty because he's so fat adapted. Yep. Exactly. So he, you know, he's got a, a lot fuller glycogen stores and, uh, you know, the issue though is, you know, could you play Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee for 10 hours? I bet he I would. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay. So even a whole foods approach, I wanted to talk to you about this, uh, which is obviously optimal, might not be um, comprehensive from a micronutrient standpoint. So I know that you're a fan of, of certain supplements, uh, especially when you're training, which ones do you recommend to folks who are training at a, at a higher level. Do you mean supplements specifically for, um, just like performance or for, for endurance or let's start with performance. Okay. Um, so as far as performance goes, um, you know, there are some, some tried and true supplements out there, like, uh, depending on, on what type of, of goal that you have. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's like, um, you know, uh, strength, for example. Um, you definitely want to be using something like creatine. Um, you know, typically you don't need to load with creatine, but, you know, taking creatine uh, would, would definitely be one of the things. Um, beta alanine is another pretty well researched supplement. Mm-hmm. Dosing with branched chain amino acids, um, especially during a strength session, that can be pretty effective too. Um, those are some of the biggies. Um, for strength power athletes, I also like to see some kind of a, a green supplement because yeah. tends, uh, there tends to be a lot of inflammation, muscle breakdown, um, and there, there's some really good alkaline, um, like concentrated green supplements that can really help to balance pH in a situation like that. So right. strength athlete some creatine amino acids some beta alanine some greens you know that that that'd be kind of like a, a sample supplement protocol mm-hmm. for that nature and creatine specifically are there any serious side effects i know there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there but but what's your take you know the the biggest deal with creatine is the powders that are out there like the man in a can powders all you need to do is just get a a you know pardon the expression cheap ass creatine monohydrate powder or capsule and you're you're good to go um you don't need to get any of these fancy supplements um you know you can get quite a bit of creatine too from like a like a nice you know cut of beef so if you're doing a lot of of like red meat and eating big animals um, sometimes you, you don't even need creatine. Mm-hmm. You'll, some folks tend to get water retention. Some folks don't with creatine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that just really, really depends on the person I find. So, um, creatine though, has a ton of, you know, creatine along with, with beta alanine, both of those have, have a lot of good research behind them in terms of their efficacy, especially for strength. Right. Which is rare these days, <laughs> you know, a lot of research that points in the right direction anyway. Right. Right. No. 
a lot of these supplements, it goes back and forth. You know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you recently wrote about protein powders too. So a lot of people ask me about that. Um, what should people look for when they're going for a protein powder? Uh, typically, what I look for is like a like a cold processed uh, whey isolate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in my opinion, anybody who's using a protein powder frequently should get like a, like an IgG, IgA immunoglobulin test, mm-hmm. pretty simple blood test that you can get to identify whether or not you tend to produce antibodies against certain proteins. Um, anybody who produces antibodies, for example, against, uh, against whey from cows shouldn't be going near cow whey protein because mm-hmm. You're, you know, if you're dumping that down the hatch post workout, you're you're piling inflammation on top of inflammation. Right. So, uh, you know, in a situation like that, you either go for a vegan blend, you know, like a, a pea slash hemp slash rice based protein blend, mm-hmm. or um, you know, you do for example what I do. I I do a goat based protein. Um, that protein is much smaller. It's more thermodynamically favorable. Uh, it's better absorbed. Mm-hmm. It's better. You know, the size of a goat is much closer to the human body than the size of a cow. Right. So protein is a little bit smaller and people who tend to have like a, like a cow whey protein sensitivity don't have that same sensitivity to like a, a goat based protein. Mm-hmm. Um, egg proteins, similar to the, to what I mentioned about immunoglobulin and sensitivity to, to cow protein, you'd want to get tested. I personally test pretty high in terms of the amount of antibodies I create against both egg and cow. Really? So I, Interesting. The two protein powders I've got in my cupboard are, are vegan protein um, and, a, and a goat-based protein mm-hmm. in the protein powders that I use. And then I, you know, they're, they're both sweetened with uh, like, a, like a stevia with a, a little bit of erythritol is in one and, you know, no, no artificial sweeteners, uh, not a huge amount of preservatives, um, no extras thrown in like nitric oxide or creatine or any of that stuff because mm-hmm. you just overpay getting protein powders that have that stuff in it yeah and yeah that's that's what i go for when it comes to to protein powders cool and what about the supplementation for a different goal like health so uh, it it, it, it kind of depends i'm a big big fan of quantification to mm-hmm. actually what you need yeah you know i i typically do a, a full-on blood panel two to three times a year I've, I've been using uh, Wellness FX recently for my blood panels. Oh, you have? Very cool. Just the basic, uh, you know, vitamin D, complete blood count, comprehensive metabolic profile, look at your red blood cells, white blood cells, just all the things that would be able to tell you if you were actually low on a certain compound. Um, right. There's things that you got to kind of go above and beyond to get, like if you want to to test your your gut flora, for example, you're going to have to go through like a, a company like Genova in order for a, a parasitology test or a stool test, mm-hmm. or if you to get a look at another common deficiency like like magnesium, for example, you'd have to get like a, like a red cell test through a company like uh, like Doctors Data. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so blind supplementation in the absence of of quantification, I think ends up a lot of times just just having you 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 know, flush a lot of money down the toilet. Yeah. But in most cases, for most people, when they do quantify, and, you know, I have a lot of the athletes and folks that I work with test and, and send me their labs, you do send to see, you, you tend to see some patterns that develop. For example, um, a lot of people have like omega-3 to omega-6 ratios that are off. And in that case, um, you know, I've got just about everybody that I'm working with right now on cod liver oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to get as close to nature as possible. Most of the fish oils out there are, are in their, their ethyl ester form. Most of them are fairly poorly absorbed. Um, you know, and, and I like a cod liver oil uh, for, for getting some of those omega-3s. Yeah. Uh, an, another thing for general health um, would be like a magnesium supplement. Um, I personally prefer like a transdermal magnesium topical delivery to bypass the gut because magnesium yeah. It's not really, really well absorbed in the gut. I mean, it, it still can have like this kind of calming effect, this effect that puts you to sleep. You mm-hmm. know, like you like a like a natural calm magnesium powder before bed. Uh, but as far as as really good absorption, um, you know, you're looking at like a like a topical magnesium sprayed into areas of high blood flow, like mm-hmm. the eyes and, and under the armpits, is mm-hmm. giving you a better bang for your buck. And tons and tons of people are deficient in magnesium. 
it's responsible for over 300 different enzymatic reactions. So that's another one that's kind of like most people should be on a, on a magnesium supplement. Um, so I like magnesium. I like cod liver oil. Another one that, that I like for most people would be, even if you're already doing a cod liver oil and most of them are enriched with vitamin D or tend to have some vitamin D in them, Mm -hmm. uh, take an extra vitamin D. You know, I, I personally do, uh, summertime anywhere from two to 3000 units in the winter, you know, cause I'm up in Washington state and we're yeah. four to 6,000 international units of D and that's another kind of one for health. And then from there, it really depends. I mean, if, if say you're a guy and you test, uh, you test, uh, low in testosterone, um, you know, you can get on like, uh, like D aspartic acid combined mm-hmm. aromatase inhibitor. So, uh, so you don't get man boobs, <laughs> moobs. Um, yeah, moves. Um, that's a really, really good combo uh, for from bumping up testosterone levels, especially if you're already doing things like cod liver oil and magnesium and vitamin D, and those are all great for hormonal support. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I I like about three grams of diaspartic acid per day combined with a really potent aromatase inhibitor like uh, like myomin is a mm-hmm. good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forget for bumping up testosterone levels without uh, producing a lot of estrogens. Yeah. You know the other the other thing that I'd say uh, from a health standpoint that I've found to be really effective for a lot of people, especially people who are stressed out, um, people who are training a lot, people who are producing a lot of corticosteroids, um, you know, generating a lot of cortisol, producing a lot of stress on the autonomic nervous system, would be adaptogens. Um, I'm a huge fan of of good high quality Chinese adaptogenic herbs, mm. like eleuthero, uh, rhodiola. Um, you know, cordyceps, any of these uh, tend to work really, really well. There's, there's one supplement that I use pretty much every day. I actually just finished a big glass of it before I got on this call that I, on an empty stomach. It's called uh, TNC, just made by a, by a little company down in Oregon. And it's like these super high quality adaptogenic herbs. And you literally feel like a million bucks. And I've, I've, I've been overtrained before. I've, yeah. I've been to the point where I'm just like, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I've, I've beat my body to a friggin' pulp and I can dig myself out of the hole by kind of double dosing with these adaptogenic herbs. Wow. Find that with, uh, with a little bit of, uh, good old, uh, uh, Jack Cruz's, uh, CT protocol. Yeah. The thermogenesis. Yep. That once combo tends to clear up inflammation with me and uh, and stabilize me really really fast when I'm when I'm overtrained and when I've I've dug myself into a hole. So that's super cool. And now, what about not to use? Like, you're not a big fan of sunscreen, as I understand. Yeah, you know, especially when it comes to endurance sports, it's like there's necessary evils. There's the whole risk versus reward thing, and um, we do make our own sunscreen out of a, a combination of, you know, like some coconut oil and jojoba oil and, and, uh, some other things like you can order, uh, you know, zinc oxide or titanium oxide. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is still not super, super healthy, but it's better than most of the chemical laden sunscreens that you can get on the market. What I personally do is if I'm going to be exposed to high levels of sun while I'm training, uh, for longer than an hour, I'll, I'll take that dive, make the sacrifice and, you know, smear that chemical even if it's homemade chemical mm-hmm. heavy metal like titanium or, or zinc oxide is still going to result in some absorption your skin is still a mouth to a certain extent yeah. but it's healthier than a lot of the stuff that's out there on the market and so yeah i'm not i'm not a huge fan of sunscreen um but i'm also not going to like go smear myself in mud or something <laughs> actually that was on my last podcast <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's amazing. When you look at the back of a sunscreen, it, the entire label is just full of chemicals that you cannot pronounce. And, yeah. uh, and I, I like you saying that the, the skin is a mouth because most people just really don't think of it that way. From, you know, deodorants to soaps to sunscreen, you are absorbing all of this crap that they're putting in there. And if it's, you know, hand soap that costs 49 cents for a big old package of it, it's probably not full of good stuff. Yeah, and the 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 mechanism of action of a lot of these chemicals is basically to produce free radical byproducts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, es- essentially, uh, they're they're oxidants, and so you can mitigate some of the damage um, from a from a modern industrialized lifestyle uh, through antioxidant consumption. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take a, a lot. I mean, a, 
a, a decent level of antioxidants can be had from eating an apple and a, a handful of walnuts. But say you're like a like a triathlete like me, and you're you're jumping into chlorine every day for a half hour, yeah. and you know, out in the sun, and then maybe you're putting some sunscreen on every now and again, and you know, getting all these exposures. I personally do every day like a like a fairly high dose antioxidant blend of a bunch of different whole food antioxidants just to to mitigate some of that damage, yeah. especially like chlorine so yeah that's great advice and now i wanted to talk about also about how you're not like a strict paleo dieter like a lot of the folks who might be listening uh but you have really good reasons for taking a more nuanced approach so why don't you share that with with the folks out there well you know my my approach to nutrition is that um first of all humans are smarter than plants so <laughs> most of us anyway we should be able to take most plants and, and herbs and assuming they haven't been genetically modified, get them to the point where they're digestible, mm -hmm. soak them, sprout them, and actually, you know, eat them and, and get lots of the amino acids and vitamins and minerals and nutrients that are, that are in a plant. Mm -hmm. You know, take something like soy, for example. You know, you can, you can eat that in it's, in it's raw form. You can get some edamame or some tofu or some form of unfermented soy and you can consume it and, you know, be consuming lots of the phytic acids and, and digestive inhibitors that are going to be in that, mm -hmm. that, or that, or that, that soybean, or you can, you can get your hands on, on a fermented form of it, you know, like, like get some natto or some miso and be able to get a lot of the proteins and a lot of the benefits from consuming soy without getting a lot of that that moves <laughs> you know and there there are other things that are similar like we we sprout quinoa we sprout amaranth we sprout millet and whereas a lot of this stuff anything from from saponins to lectins to a lot of the things that can cause digestive damage are going to be present in those grains or in those grasses in their raw form mm -hmm. you know you're just not supposed to eat them in, in their, in their raw form. And as long as you, you treat them correctly, um, you know, I, I am okay with, with eating some grains and some grasses and some of the things that, you know, maybe would be considered a little bit more, you know, agricultural type of foods, you know, the same can, can be said for milk. You know, we, we drink raw grass fed milk. I, I don't personally, because of that, that immunoglobulin issue, mm -hmm. um, you know, but like my kids and my wife, they drink a, a raw grass-fed milk. We make yogurt from it. We do a lot of, of fermentation. We'll take kefir grains and and some of that milk and make kefir to get the uh, get the gut flora and the probiotics. And there's there's a lot of benefits to be had, especially from a gut flora perspective. You know, from milk, for example, which uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of folks on the paleo diet don't really consume milk. Right. Um, it's kind of more of a primal diet type of thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of that type of thing as well. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where I could, I could wander out with a knife in my teeth and climb a tree and <laughs> a deer and sink my teeth into its, into its hide and, and start to eat it there on the spot. And there's an image. I probably would have a tummy ache a few hours later. It's like <laughs> any, any food you're going to, if you treat it properly and you, whatever, you skin it, you clean it, you cook it or you, you pick it and you wash it and you soak it and you sprout it, most stuff um, you can eat. And, you know, it's, it's really the, the modern uh, genetically modified or, mm -hmm. um, you know, industrialized, you know, like high yield wheat crops and stuff like that with the, with the high, high amounts of gliadin that you got to stay away from. But, right. you know, most of this other stuff, especially in terms of like in vivo studies on any type of gastrointestinal damage that they cause, you know, Really, the, any any research on that type of stuff is fairly weak or or non-existent, and so, you know, I I take a little bit more practical approach when mm -hmm. it comes to food, and and you know, I I certainly do not eat you know pasteurized, homogenized dairy products or refined and hydrogenated vegetable oils or you know toxic additives and colorings and and artificial foods, but. I, you know, if, if it's just a natural food that grows on the face of the planet and it's not poison and I can, I can make it digestible, I'll eat it. Yeah. So that's an important caveat too. It's, it's naturally occurring foods that are treated or prepared correctly, which is a far cry from what you'd say find in the supermarket. Right. right. One of the, I'm working on a blog post right now that, you know, 
food of the same name is not at all what it used to be for our grandparents' generation, say. So like from wheat to corn to pretty much most vegetables that you find in the grocery store, even though it has the same name, it doesn't have near the same nutrition and has, usually has a lot more sugar because it's bred for sweetness. And and God knows what else with the GMOs and <laughs> the other. I mean, wheat has just been hacked to pieces. Um, and I, I think I saw in one of your posts, you talked about Wheat Belly, which is a great book um, to really bring that stuff to light. Yeah, that, that book changed my approach to wheat, really, because I used to do soaked and sprouted wheat. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that the, the wheat germ and gluten and, um, and the gliadin levels in that is still really dang high just yeah. because of the way that it's been bred. And so... Um, you know, I'd, I I don't really even go out of my way to buy like an ancient grain or go out and find some einkorn or something like that. I pretty much avoid wheat just because it's so inconvenient to even get your hands on on a like an, an ancient form of it. So it is, yeah. Uh, now let's let's do a hard shift into something else. I'm gonna throw it out there and guess that you're probably an ectomorph. No, I'm not. Really, I weigh about 175 right now, and I weighed 220 in my mass gain phase as a bodybuilder and competed. 220, holy smokes. 90 and 200 yeah i was jacked holy smokes all right so let's let's talk about that are you a hard gainer or or do you gain muscle pretty easily i'm a hard gainer but you know if you if you're going by like my like my book like my body typing book Mm -hmm. i'm an ecto mesomorph okay gotcha that i am i am relatively lean uh naturally but also tend to put on muscle quickly if i lift heavy stuff Mm mm-hmm so, uh, you know, bodybuilding protocol for somebody like that, um, that worked really, really well for me was a four times a week, full body lift, heavy stuff, um, all O lifts or, or basically barbell lifts and just super basic, um, heavy lifting with lots and lots of eating. I did it wrong. You know, I was, I was sponsored by ABB. So I was doing like four or five of those ABB protein shakes mm-hmm. every, you know, felt like you were crapping out a straw by the end of the day um you know eating tuna cans with uh, or 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 tuna out of the can with with like ketchup and relish and just like protein all day long and you know got my got my body fat down super low i was basically just like a, a piece of meat lying on the couch you know no sex drive no hormones you know nothing you know you you look nice but that is not a healthy sport. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So I, I'm I'm a hard gainer to a certain extent, but hard gainers if they eat enough and, and lift heavy stuff, unless they're full on ectomorphs with with super super skinny arms and legs and super skinny body, can still get get pretty big. Mm-hmm. So knowing what you know now, how would you approach it? You wouldn't be eating you know tuna with relish and ketchup, right? No, no. <laughs> Only for a treat, every <laughs> top. Uh, no, I would, I would definitely take a high fat approach, um, and uh, really focus on uh, on getting adequate cholesterol into the diet for steroid and hormone formation. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would do a, a little bit more uh, in, in terms of the uh, like the uh, the the sodium load and then sodium drop in that last week prior to competition to okay. get that ripped look without necessarily stripping down to you know like getting underneath three percent body fat, which is just bonkers. I mean, it's it's like triathlon though, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you're still fighting an uphill battle. It's not healthy. You know, like bodybuilding, you're doing it to to achieve a certain look that mm-hmm. is judged by the bodybuilding crowd or by the magazine crowd to be uh, something that is um, enviable in terms of of its appearance. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not healthy. Just like going out and and crushing yourself for ten hours to. <laughs> the finish line and get a little medal is not healthy you know it's all it's either about personal achievement or else it's it's about you trying to impress somebody yeah so you know either way you look at it, it's not healthy but if i could go back and do it over again i'd definitely go after more of like a like a higher fat bodybuilding approach mm-hmm. yeah which is interesting because there's still so much low fat out there you know that's that's the stuff that's regurgitated all over the internet and and the bro science forums and all of that, but you're, you're telling people not to be afraid of fat. Bodybuilding is steeped in low fat, low carb, uh, super high protein. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you can you can achieve a, a fairly low body fat percentage. Like I'm I'm at about six percent body fat right now. Mm-hmm. It is comprised of any given day about sixty to seventy percent fat. Wow. So it, it, you know dietary fat does not equate with body fat percentage to to any extent whatsoever. And you can you can get yourself relatively ripped. You may not you know like if you're a guy. I know I'm talking all about guys. I'm not trying to leave you ladies out, but I'm just. You know, talking about my own personal experience, you know, you can, you can definitely, um, get yourself to the point where you're ripped, maybe not below 3%, you know, ladies, maybe not below, you know, that ripped look of being typically for girls. It's anywhere between like eight and 11%. Mm -hmm. You can get yourself, you know, pretty, pretty toned, pretty ripped doing like a high fat. So, yeah. And once you get there, you can kind of make some tweaks, but you have to make tweaks if you're going that low anyway. And you, and you know, the cool thing is you've, you still got your, you still got your mental function because you got adequate fatty acids. You've still mm-hmm. got your because you got adequate hormones and you've got all these, these perks that you don't have when you're on like a toxic high protein approach. Right. Well, that's great advice. Well, we're coming up on time. I can't believe it, but because there's so much more to talk about, but, uh, before we go, what are you working on now? Or, or is there anything else that you wanted to talk about specifically? Um, you know, I'm I'm still continuing to to churn out as as interesting uh, of a blog posts format as I can churn out over at bengreenfieldfitness.com and yeah, which is great stuff. You guys should all check it out. Probably the biggest thing I'm doing right now is I, I mentor a small group of personal trainers, uh, nutritionists, and fitness coaches. Cool. We we've got a private forum. I teach seminars every month and give them exams. Um, and, and we're getting CEUs from a lot of organizations like the NSCA and um, you know USA Cycling and wow, USA. Good for you. And basically, they're they're giving these folks that are learning from me, uh, you know, credits for for passing the exams that I'm I'm administering. And that's that's all over at uh, at superhumancoach.com. But it's called the the Superhuman Coach Certificate. It's a 12 month mentorship program with me where uh, you you pretty much learn everything that you need to know to get really really good results from your clients. So I'm uh, I'm trying to uh, to uh, clone myself basically. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe how many hats you wear. Actually, I kind of can. <laughs> I don't wear hats very often. I like my hair. <laughs> you do have great hair. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Ben. This has been awesome. We'll have to have you back again soon. Cool. Thanks, Abe. <laughs> you got it. Cheers. Thank you folks so much for listening. If you want to hear more from Ben Greenfield, you could check out bengreenfieldfitness.com or of course you can go to fatburningman.com, check out the show notes and I'll point you right to them. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to leave a review for the Fat Burning Man show on iTunes. That always helps out and I really appreciate hearing from you guys. And stay tuned. I'm very excited to have Paul Jaminet coming up next week and we're going to be talking about the brand new version of the Perfect Health Diet. In the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers.